0: Yes, there is a thief in the night, and he's going to steal something. He's going to take something, but he's going to do it in a very sneaky way that's going to happen abruptly, but it's going to catch a lot of people off guard. But if you're in the light and not in the darkness, then you will be ready. Amen. Um, Before I begin, I'm going to pray... I don't normally do this, but I'm going to actually read a prayer, and this is a prayer that was prayed by George Washington. So it goes back over a couple hundred years ago. And it says, Almighty God and most merciful Father, who did his command the children of Israel to offer a daily sacrifice to thee, that thereby they might glorify and praise thee, For thy protection both night and day. Receive, O Lord, my morning sacrifice, which I now offer up to thee. I yield thee humble and hearty thanks that thou hast preserved me from danger of the night past and brought me to the light of day and the comforts thereof. A day which is consecrated to thine own service for thine own honor. Let my heart, therefore, gracious God, be so affected with the glory and the majesty of it that I may not do my own works, but wait on thee. And discharge those weighty duties that thou requirest of me. And since thou art a God of pure eyes and wilt be sanctified in all who draw near unto thee, who doest not regard the sacrifice of fools, nor hear sinners who tread thy courts? Pardon, I beseech thee, my sins. Remove from me, remove them from me, or remove them from thy presence as far as the east is from the west. And accept of me for the merits of thy Son, Jesus Christ, that when I come into thy temple, and compass thine altar my prayers may come before thee as an incense and as thou wouldest hear me calling upon thee in my prayers so give me grace to hear thee calling on me in thy word that it may be wisdom righteousness reconciliation and peace to the saving of the soul in the day of the lord jesus Grant that I may hear it with reverence, receive it with meekness, mingle it with faith, that it may accomplish in me, gracious God, the good work for which thou hast sent it. Bless my family, kindred, friends, and country. Be our God. Guide this day forever for his sake who lay down in the grave and rose again for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Isn't that a good prayer? We just prayed a prayer that George Washington prayed over 200 years ago. Amen. You know what's amazing about our prayers is that every prayer that you have prayed, God puts it into a bowl. And there's a time coming that when the 24 elders, who is a perfect picture of the bride of Christ, will stand up and before everything begins, they will come and they will be kings and priests unto God and they will take those bowls, those prayers that you've prayed, and they will offer them up to the Lord. And then they will all be fulfilled. Not one prayer. Will go undone, unanswered, and God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Blessed assurance. Amen. Praise God. Well, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to look at the 13th through the 18th verse. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen. To the believers who have died, so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven in a commanding shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves, then together with Them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage one another with these words. Amen. There's an interesting word in here, and it's the word caught up. It comes from the Greek word harpazo or harpazo, and it means to, to catch something up, but not just to catch something up, but to do it in a very forcible way. It's something very powerful. It's very forceful. It's, it, 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 it grabs a hold of it. And, it. and this particular word is used in a couple of other verses in John 10, where he's talking about the good shepherd, and the good shepherd protects the sheep, but the thief he runs when the wolf comes, and then he goes on to say here in verse 12, the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. So when you, you've all probably watched those YouTube videos where, you know, the prey and the predator, <laughs> here comes the wolf, you know, he doesn't come out, you know, whistling away, which one of you sheep am I going to take today? He's lurking. He's behind the scenes. He's behind the bush. He's behind the grass, the tall grass. He's sneaking up. And when he makes his move, he makes it so quick, so fast, so powerful, so aggressive, he grabs that sheep. He doesn't hold it up in the air, shake it a little bit, say, hey, look what I got. He grabs it and runs right away, (laughs) takes off into the woods. You can't catch him. Well, that word catches is harpazo. Now, in Acts 23.10, here <clears throat> Paul is before these Jewish uh, leaders and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it's getting pretty tense. They want the Roman soldiers to to take him away, to take him to prison. But Paul's trying to explain. He's trying to uh, uh, share the gospel with them. But they're getting very agitated, and they're getting so riled up that this Roman soldier, commander, says, When there rose a great dissension, the commander fearing lest Paul might be pulled in pieces by them. They had a different way of settling issues back then. (laughs) Just stone them, tear them apart, throw them off a cliff. A little different than what we do today. But maybe if we did that today, we might have fewer crimes, right? So the the soldier commanded, or the commander commanded his soldiers, go down, take him by force. Harpezo, take him by force and so that's what they did now we also see this word in a couple of other incidents where it maybe doesn't portray such a forceful thing but it creates it, it portrays a powerful spiritual event philip was preaching to an ethiopian Enoch he joined his chariot to him he began to preach to him the man accepted the words and then the man he must have told him about repentance and water baptism because the Enoch said look there's some water what hinders me to be water baptized so they pull over the chariot Philip brings him down to the water he baptizes him in the water the guys you know like this is like you know Not even on his mind, in a sense. I mean, it was. He was reading Isaiah when Philip joined his chariot. But little did he know how this whole day would unfold. And here he is coming out of the water. And he's, you know, when you're coming out of the water and you see that person, it's kind of, you know, sloshy and wiggly. And all of a sudden, you see that person just get picked up in the sky and carried away. That's what it says here. Philip was caught away. Harpasio. Then Paul is telling a story. He says about 14 years ago, there was this man, uh, uh, and he was caught up to third heaven. You know what's interesting about this statement? Bible scholars have traced back 14 years ago to see what was Paul doing 14 years ago. Fourteen years before this happened, Paul was preaching with his disciples, and I forget which town it is, but they got so upset, the Jewish people of that town, they stoned him. Paul was dead. They took Paul's body, carried him out of the city, put him on the ground, and they stood around him and prayed. Well, he was probably, his body was there. But his spirit was caught up. And he says here, I was caught up into paradise, and I heard unspeakable words. So that's another use of that word. But now we have this word called the rapture. The rapture is kind of an interesting word because it's not in the Bible. You know, there are some words that we really hold to that are not in the Bible. Like the word Trinity. It's not in the Bible. But the meaning of the Trinity is found in the Bible. The word Bible is not even found in the Bible. The book book is named the Bible, and yet there's nowhere in the the Bible where the word Bible is. But there's a word in there called the Book of Books, and in the Hebrew it's biblios, which means it's where we get the word Bible. So, Nothing wrong with calling it the rapture. The the Latins, when they were translating and trying to look at this word, harpezio, they coined it with this word rapture, which has the same meaning, which means to seize forcibly or to take away. So that's how we get the word rapture. But if you want to be biblically correct, accurate, you could say the catching away. But I like rapture, that's kind of a cool word. I was raptured. And they use that word <laughs> they use that word in a very interesting way, because a lot of times it could be uh, talking about, um, you know, being taken away, but it also means be caught up in love. I'm going to go moonlight kayaking with Jeannie. And her beauty is going to rapture me as we're <laughs> kayaking on the river. so they use that word rapture and of course we see in the Bible different uh, incidences where God took some people up Enoch for example he was walking with God he was in love with God worshipping God having wonderful fellowship with God and this love relationship was getting so intense, so heated up that God just picked him up, took him away. He raptured him. We see another story about a, a prophet, Ezekiel, or excuse me, Elijah. And Elijah was a very mighty man of God, very devout. You know, he was like, God, everybody's turned their back, but I, I am never going to bow my knee to Baal. I'm never going to turn my back on you. He was just zealous for the Lord God. Well, he was walking with Elisha. They were having a a good time together walking. And all of a sudden, they knew God revealed to the prophets, today, Elijah was going home. And uh, Elisha wanted to stay with him because he wanted his mantle. And so they're walking together. And as they're walking together, all of a sudden, out of the sky comes a whirlwind and a chariot of fire. Swoops right down. Picks up Elijah. Carries him away. Well, he was raptured. He was taken away. That's 2 Kings 2.11. So really, it means to to be caught up, to ascend up at once, to, to go up into heaven, to go to leave the ground, to leave the earth. So the Lord is going to do that with his church. He has a plan to come down to take his church out of the earth. To catch it away to rapture it but here's the big question when when is he going to do that is he going to do it in the beginning or as we would call the pre-tribulation is he going to do it in the middle mid-tribulation or is he going to do it at the end which they call it the post-trip well, you're going to see today where he's going to do it. Amen? So in 1 Thessalonians four sixteen, it says, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will raise up. Then those that are alive and remain will be caught up. So he's coming in this, in this case... He's coming for the believers. That's his purpose. So when you're interpreting Bible prophecy, you have to look at the who, the what, the where, the when, and don't forget about the how. Because when you look at all those things that surround a certain event, you know where to put it in God's timetable. You know, you can get very confused if you mix up the days of the week. If you try to do something on the first day of the week, that's the last day of the week, you're going to be all messed up. So you got to know the timing of certain things by knowing what the the when and the where and the who and the what and the why and all of that that pertains to it. So he's coming for believers. This coming right here is for believers. And where is he coming? Is he coming to the earth? No. He's coming to the clouds in the air. And how is he coming? There's going to be a commanding shout, the voice of an archangel, and a trumpet call. Trumpet calls are very interesting in the Bible because trumpet calls have two significant purposes. The main purpose is, in the Old Testament, when God wanted to have a meeting of his people, he wanted to gather his people together they would blow a trumpet. And what's interesting about that is they would either they would blow one trumpet if they wanted just the leaders. They would blow two trumpets at once if they wanted the leaders and the congregation. Kind of interesting. So you're sitting in your tent in Jerusalem or in Egypt or the wilderness or wherever you're at not in Egypt anymore, but now you're out traveling Heading to the promised land, and God wants to have a meeting and okay. Oh, that's just the leaders. But if you hear two of them going at the same time, and I can't do that, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. You want to do it with me? No? Okay. We can do a duet. Okay. <laughs> then everybody comes. And that means to gather. To gather them in. Look at a couple of scriptures here. Isaiah, um, the reference to what I just mentioned is Numbers ten two, but Isaiah twenty seven twelve through thirteen. Yet the time will come when the Lord will gather them together like hand picked grain. One by one, He will gather them from the Euphrates River in the east to the Brook of Egypt in the west. In that day, the great trumpet will sound. Many who were dying in exile in Assyria and Egypt will return to Jerusalem to worship the Lord on his holy mountain. So again, the trumpet gathers them in for a a time to come together. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. See, now, there's a a clue. Not only is it for us believers, not only is it for us to meet him in the air, but it's a transformation. So when he comes, the purpose of this is he's going to transform our mortal bodies into an immortal body. He's not going to come and and call us, and, and we're going to be automatically transformed before the call comes. We're going to be in the mortal. There's going to be decaying bodies, dust, earthworms, whatever it is in the ground. And there's going to be human bodies, mortal human bodies. And both of those are going to meet first the dead in Christ, then we which are alive are going to go up. And somehow, as we're flying through the air, in the moment of a twinkling of an eye, as we're coming up to meet him in the air, a transformation takes place. I'll be up in heaven, standing by Jesus next to Mike, and I'll go, Mike, man, you look great. You know, you look glorified. That's how it'll happen, just like that. So that's, again what's happening in that coming of the Lord. And then he goes on to say about this, that the reason why he's sharing this is he wants to encourage us. It's a word of encouragement. It's a word of strengthening. It's a word of hope. It's a word of giving us happiness, joy, peace, knowing that here's what the Lord's going to do for his people. So now as we look over at 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 5, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Interesting that he would phrase it that way. Like, you you really don't need me to talk about this, explain this, because God's got it all figured out. He's got it all taken care of. Don't you worry about trying to figure it out. Don't you worry about trying to, you just walk in the light. You just stay close to the Lord. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so this day should not not overtake you as a thief, but you are all sons of the light and sons of the day we are not of the night and of the darkness so how is he coming here he's coming as a thief a thief doesn't go i'm here to steal your goods where do you have your jewelry i want your jewelry where did you where's your safety deposit box i want that too right it's it's sly under the radar but when? When is this coming? When they say, peace and safety, peace and safety. Now think about that for a moment. If you're living in Ukraine about a year ago, and bomb, si- bomb raid sirens are going off, you're in war, Are you saying, I'm living in peace and safety? No. So it gives us an idea of what the the current climate, the condition of the time. It's so much peace and safety that people are kind of lulled into a sense of false security. Oh, everything's going good. Everything's great. There's no problem here. But he says there'll be sudden destruction. Guys, you want to cue up that uh, video? I want to give you an idea of what sudden destruction might appear, how that might happen. There you go. (laughs) Wasn't that a little sudden destruction? (laughs) They're all all sitting on their lawn chairs, ready for a good time. (laughs) So uh, again, uh, that's just also a little tip if you're going to do your own fireworks this year. (laughs) Make sure everything is in the right position. Make sure all the fuses are good. And uh, you don't have that happen at your little (laughs) get-together. (laughs) <laughs> but see, that's what the world the world is at. They're, they're gonna be in this place. And what's gonna happen is that when he comes as a thief in the night, after that happens, things drastically change. The 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 environment starts to change, the world's conditions start to change, things all of a sudden get crazy. But it happens right after this catching away. He says here in Matthew 24, verse 15, Wherefore then, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then jump down to verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And it's going to be so bad that unless there's a time limit, unless those days are shortened, all human flesh will be destroyed. The the cataclysmic violence, destruction that will be happening in wave after wave after wave is going to be so horrific that if there isn't a timetable on it, it would actually destroy all of humanity. Scientists say right now that man has the capacity with all of their nuclear bombs and weapons to literally destroy the planet. We're there. We're at that point where everything is there waiting for something to release them. And when you think about all of the things that have ever happened, you think of the Hitler, you think of Mussolini, you think of Stalin, and you think of um, ISIS, and you think of all of these different movements that brought so much death and destruction and chaos upon the earth, And then you think about all the earthquakes and the famines and and everything that has happened up to this point. You go, man, that was horrific. But yet what is about to happen far exceeds all of that. This planet is really going to get rocked. The wrath of God and the reaping and sowing, all of the sowing of evil, of corruption, of lies, all of that is going to be, the harvest time is going to come. So why would God want you to go through that? right? Well, we'll we'll look into that here. Then verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light. Interesting thought on that. Wasn't it kind of a different week? Just a little hazy out there this week, hey? Can you imagine if you know, a couple of countries were blown up with nuclear bombs and that cloud was just lingering over, over us or over other countries? That would be a, a darkening effect. The stars shall fall from heaven. The powers of heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So this is where it gets confusing. Because, wait a minute, the coming of the Lord here... Sounds like it's at the end, because he says right on here, after the tribulation of those days, so in other words, all the tribulation things are going to happen first, and then after, there's going to be a coming of the Son of Man, and when he comes, one of the things he's going to do is he's going to, there's going to be a trumpet, did we read about a trumpet before? Kind of sounds like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There's a trumpet. And then what happens to the believers? Are they gathered? Yeah. From the four corners or winds of heaven, they're gathered. But now instead of it being at the beginning, it kind of looks like it's over at the end. And this is where people get kind of confused with this, but let's look at it a little closer. When he when this begins to happen, a he's grabbing him his elect from the four winds of heaven. When he appears, it's not peace and safety. They're right. They've been going through the tribulation. They've been everything's been decimated and demons have been. Relu- released and judgments and vials and and all kinds of chaos is going on, people are not living in peace and safety. So the time of when this is happening is totally different. There is a trumpet, but it's not the great trumpet. But there's a trumpet. Interesting, the other application of trumpet in the Bible is when you want to go to war. You need to blow the trumpet because now it's wartime. I believe this is a trumpet for war, and we'll get into that. And then, what is the effect? All the tribes of the earth will see him and mourn. So everybody that's still alive, that wasn't blown up, eaten up, chewed up, trampled under, they're going to see that This is the Jesus that they've rejected. And there's going to be mourning, repenting. So there's going to be an interesting effect upon people. So in Revelations 19, it clears this up a little bit. In verse 1 and 2, it says, After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven... Where is this happening? In heaven. Saying, hallelujah, salvation, glory, honor, power, belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who has corrupted the earth. Well, that happened in chapter 18. That happened during the tribulation. He judged the harlot. So we're past the tribulation of things. Then jump down to verse 5. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were, a voice of a great multitude and the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord our God is, our God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. It's not coming. It has come. So there's an event going on right now in heaven in Revelations chapter 9 where they're all gathering together and there's a marriage supper of the Lamb and his wife has made herself ready. She's already there. She's standing before the Lamb. She's made herself ready. Where is this happening? In heaven. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean linen, and bright for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints then he said to me right blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb and he said to me these are the true sayings of god now jump down to verse 11 now i saw heaven opened so there's an opening right now there's something that's opening up in heaven And it goes on to say, Behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with the robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. Who is that? That's Jesus. He's coming out on a white horse. Here he comes. But is he alone? Let's see here. Let's read a little further. Verse, 19, or verse 14. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on the horse. Wait a minute. Who was, who was bright and clean just a minute ago, standing before him as a bride adorned? Us. Now what's interesting, that, the New King James, which is what I have here, doesn't do justice with, um, with this. But in the King James, it uses the word clean and white. And then at, in verse 8, and then down in verse 14, it says clean and white as well. But the word white is different in both verses. So in the first one, they stand before him white and clean. That white means um, luminous. They're illuminating. They're bright, they're clean, they're radiant, they're full of light. But in this particular verse, the word white is a different Greek word, and it's leukos. And it means also the same thing. They're bright, they're white, they're brilliant. But their their whiteness and their brightness and their brilliance is is a reflection of their position of honor authority so here they are in his presence getting filled up raised up and now they're coming out with that same brightness but in an elevated we're ready to, we're ready to take on the world see when you go into prayer you might come into prayer you know, with the light of God in you. But when you get into prayer and you yield to God, something happens to that light that's on the inside of you. Something increases on that with that light on the inside of you. It goes to another level. It brings you to another place, another place where you can walk in authority, where you can walk in power, where you can do things greater than what you've done before. And here they are standing before him. And then he goes out with a sharp sword and and he strikes the nations. Now he's coming down with the fierceness and the wrath of God. And on his robe is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And in verse 19, And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Interesting that the Antichrist has that much audacity we're going to fight him. But you know, it's interesting in the Bible is that everything that is happening in Revelation is something that has happened once before in a smaller scale. Ecclesiastes says what, is, what was done will be done again. What was, being, what was being done will be done again. Nothing new is under the sun. Does anybody remember a story in the Bible where a guy, he wanted to make a war against God, so he built a tower and he went up to the top of the tower? Does anybody remember a story like that? Nimrod. Loser. (laughs) So it's happening again. Zechariah 14, 4, and 5 talks about when he comes, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. He'll split the mountain in half, and he will come with all. Not half, not three quarters, but he will come with all of his holy ones. So when he's come, he's coming to make war against the Antichrist. The bride is already in heaven with him. And there's a call for them to get on your horses. It's time to ride. And so they're getting on their horses. They're riding with him. They're coming down with him. Totally different than the thief in the night. Totally different than what we saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Then going down here to... Um, Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you... Not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled by spirit or by word or by letter as if the day of Christ had already came. So in 1 Thessalonians, Paul explained to them, he said, this is how it's going to play out. This is how it's going to work. He's going to come as a thief in the night. He's going to gather us together. We're going to be caught up to be with him forever. And then he leaves Thessalonica. And then these false teachers come in. And they say... Because you know, what happened is in Thessalonica, after they got going, there was a young church. They were excited, but then persecution broke out. All kinds of tribulation was coming against them, and they were having a hard time living for God because all this was coming against them. And so these false teachers came in and began to tell them the day of the Lord has already happened, it's already passed. And so they were shaken in their mind, they were confused they thought they missed it they didn't do they didn't they weren't ready for it and now they have to suffer now if paul taught, taught them that the rapture was going to happen at the end of tribulation then why would they be shaken in their mind actually they'd be excited because they would know that it's happening. It's game day. It's coming, to, it's coming to a head. Things are going to work out. Soon he's going to come, and he's going to pick us up, and we're going to come right back down on horses, and it's, it's, we're there, if that's how Paul taught it. But if he taught something differently, that it was going to happen, that there was going to be a catching away in the beginning, and they weren't going to be there during this tribulation, then I could understand why they are now shaken in their mind About their current conditions. So he goes on to say here, Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin, the son of perdition, is revealed who opposes and exalts himself above all that is God or that is worshipped. So he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So he's telling him before this return, before this gathering together or the day of Christ happens, there's two significant things that have to take place. First, a great falling away. And second, the man of sin has to be revealed. Now, the falling away has been misinterpreted as that people are going to fall away from the faith. And yes, that is an undercurrent. Yes, that is something that is going on. But that's always been going on. When Paul went to Galatia and he preached Christ to them, what happened? Somebody came in. Brought in teaching of the law, they went after Judaism. They fell away, and we look today uh, at different things. We see many falling aways throughout the history. The Dark Ages, when they took all the Bibles and hid them, and nobody could have a Bible and read a Bible, and everybody had to go through a priest in order to talk to God, get their sins forgiven, whatever. It was called the Dark Ages. And then you look even today. Look at the Salvation Army. You know, the Salvation Army did not start out as a thrift store. It was an evangelizing, mobilizing machine that was going out, preaching the gospel, reaching the lost. So there's been a lot of things that, you know, all of our universities, Cambridge University, Yale University, all of them started on such biblical convictions. And now here they are teaching so much humanism and (laughs) anti-Christism. So there's been a lot of falling aways over the years. What he's saying here is this falling away is so significant that it, it, it's a sign. Now, what the problem with Greek words is sometimes they're hard to translate. So put, your, put picture yourself for a minute living in, say, Turkey 200 years ago. So you go back 200 years, you're in a different country, you're in a different language, and you get to see a paragraph of what was written 200 years in the future, written in English. And now you have to translate this into your Turkish language, but again, it's It's in a culture, it's in a time that you don't even know about. It's a language that's different from yours, but you've got to translate this now into your language. And here is the disclosure that you have to translate into your language, and pay attention to the word run. And here's the disclosure. You you found this statement. A person wrote this. I'm sitting in my home, and I'm not feeling well. So I decided to run to the pharmacy. I wanted to go in and out so quick, so I didn't even turn off my car. I left it running. While I was in the store, I met an old friend. And they had to tell me all this stuff and rehash the whole past. And they just kept running their mouth off. Well, I kept getting sicker and sicker. And finally, I had to just run out of there and get home. But I didn't make it. I had an accident because I had the runs. You perfectly understand it today, but again, you're 200 years ago in a totally different country with a totally different idioms and culture and so forth. So that's the problem that we have sometimes with this. So you have to look at the Greek words and kind of pull it out. The word falling away is the word apostasy. And it means a local separation, a separation of a part from a whole, where a whole has some part taken, any kind of separation of one thing from another by which union or fellowship of the two is destroyed, a state of separation that is a physical distance or a temporal distance of time, a motion from a place, a departing or a fleeing. Sounds sounds like something else, doesn't it? Then also, a man of sin has to be revealed. In other words, we get the word again, apocalypsis, and that means to uncover, to lay open what has been veiled or cover up. So in other words, the Antichrist is, whenever this is going to happen, he's already alive, he's already doing things, he's already in politics, but he's not a big front runner. He's not one of the royals children of the king. He's not a Rockefeller. He's not a, he's not a Kennedy. He's a nobody. Interesting how Barack Obama kind of came out, right? He was a nobody. Like, he, he didn't have this long, decorated political career and well-known, you know. All of a sudden, he's just a, a senator who was only a senator, I think, for 18 months in Illinois. And all of a sudden, he becomes the president. It's gonna be something like that. I'm not saying Barack Obama is the Antichrist, so don't don't quote me on that. (laughs) But it'll be something like that. He'll be just coming out of obscurity. He won't really have a whole lot of acclimates, or but all of a sudden he just rises up quickly because Satan is giving him his power. So when he becomes so when there's this, when there's this departure, when there's this separation, when there's this taking away of something. And then this man of sin is revealed, then you know the clock ticks, we're there. The tribulation has begun. Now he goes on to say here, and you know, verse 6, and you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his time. So the Antichrist wants to come. Satan has tried. He, you know, he tried with Hitler. He thought Hitler might be his Antichrist. You know, they went over to Pergamos. They got the throne of Satan, which is the altar to Zeus. Uh, the, the, the Germans brought it back to Germany. They had it stashed right there. Um, he wanted to establish the Third Reich, which is the Roman Empire, a uh, carry on of the Roman Empire. The Antichrist comes out of the Roman Empire. I mean, a lot of similarities. And what does he do? He makes war against the Jews. He's trying to annihilate all the Jews. He's like Satan's little proto-antichrist. And so he's, he's got this groomed person that he's working on, but he can't get him out there because there's a restrainer. Something's restraining this antichrist, Satan, from being able to reveal his man. The word restrainer is an interesting word. It means to hold back, to detain, to retain, to restrain, to hinder the course or progress of something. But it also means to hold fast, keep secure, keep firm possession of. So the restrainer is restraining because the restrainer is in a certain position. And in that certain position, it has abilities, it has authority, it has power to do something. And as long as it's standing in its position, as long as it's in its place, it restrains the Antichrist. Interesting. So where have we seen restrainers? throughout the scripture. Acts 20, 29, 31, Paul said this, for this I know that after my departure, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So he tells them to do what? Watch and pray. Paul, standing firm in the position as the leader of that church, being there to protect it, to guide it. He's going to turn it over now to other leaders. But unfortunately, those other leaders aren't going to be able to stand as strong as he is. And because of that, after his departure, the wolves will come in and do damage to the church. Then we look at the story of Moses in Exodus 32, 11 through 14. Here in this particular chapter, God was so mad with the Israelites, He's like, "I'm going to destroy them all right now." Moses, you and I, we're going to start this whole thing all over again. You and I, I'll, I'll get you a wife, I'll create a wife, I'll do whatever, and we'll just start the population all over. Moses, is like, no, we can't do this, you know. <laughs> But Moses begins to pray. He begins to intercede. God, you can't do this. What will people think of you? They will not respect your name. They will not believe that you are God of gods because how could you lead people out of a land and not sustain them and not work with them and not deal with them, and you end up killing them? You're going to hurt your name, God. And if you're going to kill these people, God, you've got to kill me because I'm not, I'm not doing this. And what did he do? He changed the mind of God And he stopped the judgment. What is the restrainer doing? The restrainer is keeping the Antichrist from coming. The restrainer is keeping the tribulation period from coming. He's holding off the judgment abraham when he when god came to abraham interesting here god comes to abraham says i'm going to destroy sodom and gomorrah abraham starts to pray he starts to intercede god if there's 50 will you not destroy it no he goes all the way down the list stops at 10 there's not 10 so they have to destroy it but yet if there was 10 or more abraham could have stopped the judgment upon sodom and gomorrah interesting enough God had to do it, but what did he do first before he poured out his judgment? He sent his angels in, and he took out Lot and his family. He took out those who believed in him, who followed him. Then he poured out the judgment. Interesting verse here in Ezekiel 22, verse 29. The people of the land have used oppression, committed robbery, mistreated the poor and the needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who may make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. I found no one. Therefore, I had to pour it out. See, God, when he has a judgment, he has his restrainers. And if there's nobody to restrain him, judgment comes. Nineveh's sins finally reached to heaven. God said, I'm going to destroy it. What did he do? He reached out to Jonah. He said, Jonah, go there and preach and tell them that I'm about to judge them. I'm about to pour out my wrath upon them. Jonah was like, no, I don't want to do that. I got other plans. I was gonna go golfing today. I got a I got a, a cookout with my friends. I'm not going there. As a matter of fact, Jonah got on a boat and went in the opposite direction. But then God began to deal with him. God got him into a place to be willing, got him into a place to submit, and he finally agreed and he became willing. And he said, "Okay." And what does he do? The whale. He jumped. They throw him off the ship. The, the great fish grabs him, takes him all the way over to Nineveh, spits him out on the ground. He preaches. They repent. Judgment was averted. See, who is the restrainer? It's God's people that are in Christ. It's the body of Christ that's here on the earth that has the Holy Spirit on the inside of him. It's not us, but it's, it's who we're in and what's in us. And God is working through us in this earth, and we're the restrainers. That's why when you think about some of these verses now, when you hear them, it kind of brings a lot of light to this. Uh, he says the effectual, in James 5, 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. What are your prayers doing right now? They're restraining. In 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 6, he says, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and who are in high position, that you may lead a peaceful and quiet and godly and dignified life. Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19, Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, upon the rock, the rock of the revelation, the rock of Jesus Christ, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Well, what if the church is gone? What will the gates of hell be able to do? Tribulation. Then he goes on to tell them, I give you, Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What authority we have as a church that's why jesus said you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world and so we're the restrainer we're the restrainer we're, we're what's holding it back and and as long as we're here as long as we're we're in christ as long as we're A tabernacle of God through the Holy Spirit and we're praying and we're believing in the Lord and we're doing the things that the Holy Spirit is leading us to do, we're the restrainer. And so much so that in order for the Antichrist to come, what does God have to do? He has to take that restrainer out of the way. We're the restrainer. So we need to continue to pray we need to continue to intercede we need to continue to lift up our nation lift up our country continue to pray for our leaders pray for our president pray for our congress pray for our senators we need to do that daily to keep lifting up uh, praying that god would deal with them and work with them because the thing that uh, and 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 i don't know i'm learning the book of revelation as we're studying i'm i'm uh, you know it's it's a work in progress but there's one thing, one thing that is so concerning to me, and I haven't found the answer yet. Maybe you found it. Share with me, please, afterwards. But one thing that I haven't found is where is United States in all of this? Now, I'd like to believe that when the rapture comes, half the United States is gone, and it becomes nothing, irrelevant, and it's not a force to be reckoned with, so it's not even mentioned in the end times. That's what I like to believe. But I don't I don't know where we're at in this. I don't see any reference to us. I see I see Great Britain, I see Turkey, I see Iran, I see Russia, I see China, but I don't see where we're at on that. So let's keep praying. Amen. As a matter of fact, let's pray right now. Father, we just lift up our country to you. Lord, we thank you that back in 1776, Lord, that we that there was a declaration signed by God-fearing men, men who wanted this country to honor you, men who wanted this country to love you, to serve you, to glorify you, to be a place where we could worship you and, and give glory to your name, Lord. And as we read the prayer of George Washington today, Lord, we could see his heart, Lord, we could see his, his devotion, his sincerity, his, his what he wants to do for you and how you've convicted him and worked in him, Lord. And so Father, I pray that that Spirit, Lord, would be released upon our Congress, upon our Senate, upon our, our, our White House, upon the President and administration. I pray that there would be a fear of God that would fear of God, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, would be released upon our land. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us individually for not walking in the fear of the Lord when we need to. For not obeying you the way we should in areas that you've dealt with us. Forgive us, Lord. We repent of that right now. We ask you to cleanse us. There we go. Father, forgive us of that cleanse our nation. You said if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek your face, Lord, that you will cause judgment that was dooming and coming our way. You sent harbingers. You sent warnings, Lord, to this country. And you're trying to warn us, Lord. You're trying to warn us. So I pray that we will heed your warning, Lord. We will heed your warning and turn back to you, God. Raise up prophets of God, voices of God. Raise up the voices of the Lord. Raise up the voices of the Lord in the marketplace, in the the government, in in the workplaces, in in places of influence, places of authority, places where lives are being touched and changed. Lord, I pray that you raise up godly voices, godly voices to influence righteousness, Lord, don't let our lamp go out. Don't let our lamp go out, Lord. So, Father, we pray, have mercy upon our country. I pray the fear of the Lord would just manifest. Lord, that you would come and show yourself real, that you are the Lord of lords, that you are the King of kings, that you are the Almighty God. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I only got three-fourths of the way done, but it's already 12.15. So who will give me five minutes? <laughs> okay. So in closing, what I'm going to say is that there's the, when you read scriptures that talk about the coming of the Lord, you've got to look at the who, what, where, when, and why. Because it'll tell you where it's going to be. Is it in the beginning of the week, or is it at the end of the week? In the beginning of the week, it has a whole different purpose. The end of the week, it has a whole different purpose. And clearly those scriptures are like that. And the thing that just is heavy on my heart, and the thing that the Lord is trying to do and speak to us, is, and, and, and I don't, I can't say I necessarily have The full answer on this because I'm torn. But when I read scriptures in Luke 21 34 through 39, it says, Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness, by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware, like a trap. For that day will come upon every living on the earth. So keep alert at all times pray that you may be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. If our salvation was based upon us praying a certain amount of prayers, doing a certain amount of things, then what, is, what did, the, what did the, the cross and the resurrection have to do with our salvation? So it's not pertaining to our salvation. It's pertaining to a certain day. That there's something going to happen at a certain time and, and we have to be ready. And he also, in this, he gave the parable of the ten virgins. And in the parable of the ten virgins, they all knew that the bridegroom was coming. They all knew that. They all had lamps. But the difference is the five that were wise had extra oil. The five that were foolish didn't have oil. Well, what's the, what's the oil for? The oil makes the lamp right the oil gives fire to the lamp so it's possible that there are people that know about his coming who are living a clean life in the sense of you know they're not indulging necessarily in the in 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 unbelief there's some type of a purity of knowing that there is a god and that their god is real and god is true but there's a lack of This oil, this light producing substance that they need to burn bright in the hour of darkness. And the Antichrist, when he comes, see his spirit is already here at work. His spirit is at work right now. His spirit is opposing things that are called God. His spirit is is a lying spirit. A lying spirit is a spirit that knows what is true but says something totally opposite knowing that it's speaking a lie. And that spirit is here, and it's, it's deceiving people, and he's going to come with this spirit already prepping the ground, if you will, prepping hearts and minds of people, and it's going to deceive a lot of people. Again, when, when this is going to happen, there's going to be peace and safety, and there's going to be a lot of influence of the Antichrist spirit controlling our society. And we have to watch and pray. And we have to be strong and not let our minds become influenced or controlled by that. Amen. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you warn us. Lord, we thank you so much that you give us understanding. Lord, that you are trying to prepare us, Lord, because you want us to be with you forever and ever. And so, Lord, we just uh, uh, put it in our hearts, Lord. Yes, Lord, we want to follow you uh, 100% all the way. Stay alert. Stay awake and watch after you. Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.